Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. talking a lot about the Bible. I mean, I, I do that every single week, but specifically we were talking about the importance of reading God's word, sharing God's word. And today we're going to talk about probably the one thing that keeps you or keeps any Christian or quote air quote Christian from doing those two things. It's do you trust God's word? Okay. There's a lot of people who read it or don't read it because they don't know if they can trust it. And they're afraid to talk about it because they don't know if they can trust if it's true. And that's the topic of today. I know like deep down inside, guys, we all know what it's like to have our trust betrayed. Yes or no? All right. I'm, 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 I'm sorry if I'm bringing up some negative emotions already. But we all know what it's like, right, to have our trust be betrayed, maybe by a person, friend. The one that hurts is when it's like a loved one, right? Somebody that shouldn't. That maybe that best friend or somebody like that, that's when it really hurts. And I, I feel like there's, and I know I, maybe I've, I've kind of seen this myself, where you have a, tr- you struggle with trusting in God because, oh, what if he lets me down, right? And I know people have done that. They, they put their faith in a verse. They put their faith in God only for God not to follow through. And then they feel, all right, God has betrayed my trust. And maybe it's been hard for you to trust him, him again. My thing is this, guys. Listen, my, my warning to you is if, if you've ever placed your trace, if you've ever placed your trust on God and he has failed you, nine out of ten, let me just give you from my experience, anytime I've ever felt God failing me, it's because I failed to place my trust in him correctly. A lot of times when I feel like God is, I'm upset that, or went through that where I'm upset that God, I trusted you and you didn't come through. It's really, I'm mad he didn't give me what I wanted. That's really it. And so God's not on our level like that. And some things make sense, right? Some things we wanted and we feel like it would be a good thing. And why wouldn't? I know. I know, I know, I know. But that's why God is, is so important for us to make sure that we are shifting our faith onto what is solid on what he has said, not what we guess. That's huge. And so... Today, trusting in God is huge because, listen, guys, if, if you want to get to a point where you want to ask him, like, all right, well, I don't know if I can, all right? I don't know if I can trust in him. Is this getting louder? I don't know if I can trust in him. Well, then you're left with a bigger question. Like, well, then what are you going to trust in now? So if you're going to look at me, and for, for those of you, if you're wondering, I'm like, can I trust in God's word? My, my prayer and hope is that you can say yes to that. Because if you can look in God's word, trust in what he has said, meaning you can trust in him. Because, guys, listen, if you doubt the book, that means you have to doubt the author. It's connected. So the book is important. The book is important. And so with that, it's huge. And so I want you guys to walk away and understand, saying, look, I can trust in this book, which means that I can trust in who he is, who this book talks about. And that should give you hope. Gives me hope. I pray it gives you hope. But if you, at the end, still get to a place where it says, well, I can't trust in God. I can't trust in the book. I can't trust in him. Then that means you're left with not hope, but now you need help. Because if you're not going to put your trust in God here, then what you're going to put your trust in? you got to figure that out. And so my prayer is that you may see that he is worthy of your trust. Trustworthy, all right? So we're going to look at Acts 18, 1 through 17, in order to look at how and why we can trust in God's word. So we're kind of getting to the end of Paul's second missionary journey, guys. It's been a ride so far for those of us that online, if you've been with us in-house, we've been looking at this second missionary journey. It has been pretty cool. So we're getting down to the end of it. And uh, let's read Acts 18. Uh, last week we talked about he was in Athens and, he, you know, it was a really interesting story. And so we're just going to pick up the story where we left off. So we're going to read Acts 18, 1 through 17. It's going to be our anchor. So let's read it together. So after this, meaning his time in Athens. Paul leaves Athens, and he went to Corinth, all right? This is the largest city in Greece and Macedonia at the time. Humongous. I think 100, 200 people, 200,000 people. Massive city. And so he goes to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, 
a native of a town region named Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, Emperor Claudius, uh, had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, Aquila and Priscilla, and since they were uh, of the same occupation, they were tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy, which we know they, Paul had to leave them behind in a previous town, when Silas and Timothy arrived, they caught up to Paul in Macedonia, Paul then devotes himself fully, he has, he's putting a greater focus on preaching the word and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now when they, meaning the Jews, when they resisted and blasphemed, meaning that they're telling, they're not believing in the gospel, they're not believing in these things, and they're blaspheming saying, no, Jesus is not the Son of God, he is not the Messiah, that's blasphemy. Paul shook his clothes and told them, he just gave, gave a little... All right, just shook his clothes and, and told them, your blood is on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go on to the Gentiles. I'm going to explain that one later. That one looks kind of weird. So then he left, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. I love that detail. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with the whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. This is great. Revival is breaking out on a large scale in Corinth. And then the Lord says to Paul in a night vision. Now, in my book, these words are written in red. So there's a, you know, this is Jesus speaking. Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. That was Jesus. So Paul stayed there a year and a half, 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. His second longest stint that he's been at at a church in the city of Corinth. All right. Uh, he goes in. Now, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, I don't even know if I said that right. The Jews made a united attack against Paul. And brought him to their tribunal. Quote, this man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the Jewish law, to our law. And in corner even Roman law to a certain extent. So as Paul was about to open his mouth, he was going to defend himself. As he's about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, listen, if, I, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But... If these are questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, or the new leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. All right? None of these things mattered to Gallio. So we bring that up and say, like, well, why should that all matter to you? All right. It didn't matter to Gallio. And so why should it matter to you? All right. Yo, this is huge. So let's look at the first one. All right. So let's make sure we're all tracking. You see the situation, right? The situation is this. Paul is making friends and enemies as revival breaks out in Sin City. All right. That's kind of what happened. Y'all y'all tracking me on there? Now, when I say Sin City, what city pops up in your head? Online, type it. See who's the first one. When I say Sin City, what comes up, what comes to mind? Huh? Vegas, right? Las Vegas. Well, there's a reason why I called it uh, Sin City in this way, because that's what Corinth was. All right? Corinth was a wealthy and a wicked town. Wealthy and wicked. And so they had a lot of uh, sexual promiscuity going on, big time. So during the day, a lot of the priestesses from those in the Corinth temple, they would go and they would be inside of, you know, on the mountain and stuff like that. And at night they would come down and offer their services. And so uh, this was a big deal. And so because this city was so wicked, it kind of makes sense when you read First and Second Corinthians. That should sound familiar. We're reading the origin story of, of Corinth right now. And so the, when you look at First and Second Corinthians, they had a lot of issues with the way that they treated each other and sexual promiscuity inside of the church. Because these Christians, they had a hard time divorcing the world, they had a hard time divorcing the world and the culture. And so they tried to blur in 
following Christ and still being relevant in the culture, and it was a problem. So that's a problem for us as well. And so they're making, uh, again, they're making friends. And so, guys, this one, we got an introduction to an amazing power couple here. All right, Aquila and Priscilla, you're going to hear those names again if you keep on hanging out with me, all right, for, uh, throughout this study. These are um, Paul's now, and he makes these friends here, and they actually become lifelong friends, ministry um, partners with Paul. And they help him in, in the future. We're going to talk about that. You're going to see. Uh, it's a really cool couple. So Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they lovingly serve, serve the Lord. They work together. I know we got some couples in the house that work together, right? So we got a few. All right, we got some that like to work together. These two, they like to work together. You guys check, check out what, uh, what was their job? What did they do? Tent makers, all right? That was their thing. And so y'all caught that Paul was a tent maker. So Paul had a side hustle, all right? That's a good thing. Ain't nothing wrong with a side hustle. And so Paul has his reasons for doing those. Um, and uh, it's an interesting one. And so he didn't want to be dependent on just offerings and people and stuff like that. So he had his own little thing. Um, and so he's way there with Aquila and Priscilla. He's helping them to kind of get together, understand the market, understand what's going on. So he's able to make some money while he's waiting for his boys to show up. But he's teaching. Again, here's Paul again, guys. He's leading. It said he reasoned every time. He reasoned with the Jews and people with the truth of God. And so he always leads with the truth. And that's why, guys, we should understand, trust it, and know it, because we ought to be led by the truth of God. So we're applying the truth of God. So it always was at the beginning. And so when finally when his boys, uh, Silas and Timothy, show up, you guys caught it that now they brought an offering from all of the, the Christians in the previous town that they were in. Like saying, hey, man, we just want to, I know it's been rough for you. And so they just wanted to kind of give them a little love offering. And so Paul was able to kind of focus even more now. It said he devoted himself fully. And so, guys, that right there, let me just tell you, that speaks huge about friends, the community that we belong to. Notice that the, the less people that were around Paul, he had to have a lot going on. But the more he had a support group, the more he was able to focus on his God-given calling. And so, guys, this, this is what the church plays a big role in this. Your relationships. It's one thing to watch online. It's another thing to sit and watch in here. It's another thing altogether to be able to build and connect with those that you're watching with. Huge. Paul could not have done. God, you know, let me say it, let me say it very carefully, all right? Paul could not have accomplished by the Spirit alone. He could have. There's a lot that God can do with just one person. But God likes to work, all right, as a team, all right? Christianity is a team sport, all right? It's not a one-man team. It's a team sport. And so I love that. It's so beautiful. We're seeing, man, revival broke out again. And there was two huge names, guys. Y'all caught this? It was you had this conversion of uh, the main synagogue guy, his whole household. That was huge. That must have been controversial. Cr uh, uh, Crispus. Yeah, Crispus was that. That was a huge uh, person. And so many people were getting saved. And so then, no, we have a problem, though. Y'all caught Y'all caught, what was Jesus? He leaned in and said something to Paul. What did he tell him? He, he opened up with a, do not be, type it and say it, guys. What is it? Afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, guys. Why is Paul scared? Because he's having some PTSD. All right? Anybody ever had one of those? Like, you had this moment, like, you know, when, when things are starting to happen and there's a rhythm, and then, like, oh, my gosh, like, you get triggered by something. Right? And it's usually negative. Guys, Paul is struggling with PTSD here. Because let me tell you what it is. And those of us who've been reading with me, you should know. Guys, every time, what happens since, if you've been watching with me for hanging out for a little bit, when Paul, during his first missionary journeys, and now his second, there's a pattern. Every time revival breaks out, what happens to Paul? Huh? He gets beat, right? Every time revival breaks out, my boy is getting beat or chased out of town. His life is getting threatened. Every time when revival breaks out, the bats come out. Like it's, it's literally what happens every single time. And every town, if you've been noticing, it's been progressing. At first, they just would bring him, you know, and accuse him of stuff. And then they would threaten. And then they finally put hands on him. And then they would arrest him. And then they did things. And then they almost beat him to death. I mean, it literally, it's progressing worse and worse and worse. And Paul is probably right now experiencing the largest revival that he has seen in probably the big, one of the biggest, if not the biggest city that he's been in. And so can you feel that, 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 that sense of PTSD? Because he knows what happens. Like, oh, here we go again. In Athens, there was no revival. People did get saved, but it didn't break out. Something busted out here and over in Corinth. 
And so now he's saying, oh, wow, this is the biggest, probably the biggest I've ever seen God. I was like, oh, this beating is probably going to be a juicy one. Oh, my gosh. If Because every, every time, if the more revival, the, the stronger the opposition. And so he's like, oh, no. Oh, no. What's going to happen to me now? What is going to happen to me now? You guys ever been there? Ever been there? You get that? Oh, no. Here's what happens, right? Normally, this has happened to me. Like, sometimes I get a little sense of PTSD when... Uh, when money comes in, right? Get that raise, right? You get that raise, you get that little bonus, you get that escrow check out of nowhere for you know, my adults in the house. You know, when you get that bonus escrow check, that's like Christmas, bro. When you see that bonus escrow check sometimes, woo! And then I get a little PTSD when some money come in like that because like, all right, something's gonna break. All right, <laughs> something's gonna break because every time money comes in, check engine light comes on, boom. And almost like it knows. It's like the car was waiting. I was like, all right, I can't anymore, I'm done. <laughs> You got the money. I know you do. Okay. It happens to me, right? I, I know it happens to you. It's one of those things. So I get a little PTSD like that. But listen, uh, it was crazy. And so he was, Paul is experiencing this internal fears and then this external pressures as well. Before I, before I go back to that PTSD thing, let me talk about that shaking the dust off, right? That was kind of a little weird. Paul sounded petty, right? They, they, they didn't want to believe in him anymore. They're saying, Paul, you're a liar. Paul, we don't believe you. We don't believe you. So it almost sounds like he kind of shakes his, like this is the equivalent of maybe some of us. You ever done this in English or in our cultures? Just kind of clap your hands, right? Just kind of do a, you know, what? I'm done with you. You know, kind of one of those things, right? And just kind of like I wash my hands of this madness kind of a thing. That's what it almost sounds like. And then he says, your blood is on your hands. Almost like, you don't want to believe me? Burn in hell for all I care, right? That's almost what it sounds like, but it's not. So I want to help you all with that. He's not being petty. There's an exclamation point on this, but, but there's a heart of love. It is a warning sign. Because, see, these are Jews that did not want to believe anymore. They're saying, listen, I don't care. Paul, shut up. Stop talking. We don't believe in this Messiah. We don't believe in this Jesus. We don't believe that he died on the cross for our sins. So that he, he didn't shed his blood to forgive my sins. So what does Paul say? And that means your own sin. Blood is on your hands. That means that if you can't trust in Jesus to handle your sins, that means you got to figure it out all on your own. And it's not going to be pretty. So it's a warning sign. It says if you don't want to trust in Jesus with your sins, that means it's on you. You are now responsible to stand before God and to justify yourself. You can't do it, guys. You can't do it. I can't do it. So that was that warning sign. And this actually is something that Jesus, do you guys know that Jesus told us to do that? He told his apostles, which is the same words for us, guys. Let me just, let me talk to the Christians in the house. I know, I know, I know that you've had some people that you try to talk to, and it's just like one ear out the other, just like, you know, right there. And maybe you've had some opposition, like, listen, I'm sick of it. Stop. I don't care. I don't want to hear about this Jesus. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, here's the thing. See, just because Paul said, listen, all right, fine, but I'm out of here. He's not abandoning these people. He's not saying, listen. You're dead to me, all right? You're dead to me. You're dead in your sins. I'm gone. He, he doesn't cut them off. He shifts his focus. He still has a heart for the Jews like we should. He still has a heart for those that don't want to believe. But what he said, listen, if you don't want to believe and you don't want to listen to me, fine. I'm going to go try to go find people who do want to listen. But I'm going to still pray for you. That's the same for us. Jesus himself said, if people don't want to listen to you, shake the dust off your coat, which just means, listen, okay, I'm done with my responsibilities. And he tells them, do not throw your pearls to pigs. Doesn't that sound weird? Why, why shouldn't you throw pearls to pigs, guys? Because pigs don't appreciate pearls, right? Pigs don't appreciate pearls. And so in essence, like saying, why try to spend so much time talking to somebody about Jesus that doesn't want to listen? So in essence, guys, I'm here to tell you, it's okay. If you're having people that are just that hard-headed, that don't want to listen, then listen, it's okay. Shift your focus. Find somebody else that's a little more curious, a little more sensitive. Pray for that person, though. We don't cut them off. We don't say, all right, then I guess you're, you still pray for them, but you shift your focus. So Paul is seeing that. He's dealing with that external. But then I, I guarantee you there was a part of him that, Again, that PTSD that he was wrestling with with them was like, oh, are they going to believe now? And what about this? And what's going to happen to me? You know, I mean, he kind of also uh, upset these guys. Did you guys see where he, he set up camp? After they didn't want to be in the synagogue, you know, they kicked him out of the synagogue. What does he do? He goes to Titus's house next door. He sets up camp next door. Paul, it almost sounds kind of petty, but I was like, all right, listen, you don't want it? Fine. So he sets up competition across the street. 
You ever seen one of those that you got one burger joint and then they set up another across the street? Now everybody's wanting to go over there. And that's what's happening, right? The, the leader went over there. And if the leader goes, a ton of other people probably went. And Titus's house was huge enough to fit a bunch of people. And so, man, they are upset. Peter's waiting for that beating. He's waiting for that beating. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. And what happens? Jesus is faithful towards Paul as Gallio declares that Paul is faultless. Guys, I love the Jesus moment where Jesus comes in. And you know what, what he does? You know, he tells him, don't be afraid, right? Don't stop talking. There's plenty of people in this city that are mine. There's plenty of people in this city that need to be saved. The job is not done. Keep going. Don't be afraid. No one's going to beat you. He doesn't give any more details. He just says, in essence, do you know what does Jesus tell Paul? Trust me. Don't be afraid. Trust me. You know what you don't see? Jesus does not rebuke Paul for his fears. If Paul is afraid, then he might be, maybe, you know, we don't know. We're not saying that he's doubting God's faithfulness. I don't think so. But he's afraid of something. You know what? He's, he's afraid of man. What are they going to do to me today? What are they going to do to me today? What are they going to do to me today? And Jesus does not rebuke him for his fears. Instead, he reminds him that he is faithful. Guys, that's a huge one. I want that, I want that to just settle in your heart for a second. I want that to settle in your heart for a second. Here he is wrestling with fear and anxiety and worry. And Jesus does not rebuke him for your lack of faith in me. How dare you, Paul? Come on now, you know better, bro. He doesn't rebuke him, but instead he reminds him that he does not have a spirit of fear. Like Paul later tells Timothy, that you don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a sound mind. How did he learn that? Right here. He learned it right here. And so for those of you that struggle with, you know, any kind of PTSD, negative emotional triggers, emotional mental traumas, this is a beautiful example of what what does God do for me? I think what Paul is doing here is the same thing I saw this, um, I saw it a couple weeks ago, where somebody posted this, and it was just a beautiful image. There's There's a woman, a daughter, that she struggles a lot with high anxiety, and she just needs to just lay down sometimes. And so what this woman would do is she just, you just kind of see it in the ring camera. She got out of the car. She went to go to the house. Her mom's still living there. She got out of the car and just laid down on the driveway because her anxiety was so bad. She just, she just needed to lay down. So she laid down in the middle of the driveway in the middle of the day. And then in the camera, the mom noticed and the mom, you see the, the mom come in in the shot. You know what the mom doesn't do? The mom doesn't try to motivate her. The mom doesn't encourage her. You know what the mom does? lays down right next to her daughter until the anxiety passed. That's a beautiful little picture. She just said, listen, I'm not trying to fix you. I'm here with you. I'm here. It's okay. I'm here. I believe that that's what we just see here. Where Paul is struggling, and what does Jesus do? He comes alongside him and says, buddy, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm here. It's okay. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. And I believe that's the same thing for us as well, guys. For us, this is a good thing. It was like, where is God in those moments? I don't see him. I don't hear him. He's there. He's there. And that's enough to know that he is there. That's enough. And whatever he's going to accomplish is going to accomplish. And so that's a beautiful thing. We don't see a rebuke. We don't see a reminder. And then we see this other guy, Gallio, right? So Peter, not Peter, Paul must have been ready to go. He's like, all right, here we go. I know how this song goes. This is on loop now. I, you know, I do this. They don't listen. These people do. They believe. Revival breaks out. I get grabbed. They throw me in here. They're going to talk, and then they're going to beat me. I know what this is about. And so here he goes, and he's ready. He's ready. Notice he says he opens his mouth to defend himself, and Gallio interrupts him. And this guy, Gallio, starts talking, and he pretty much sees through the tactics, guys. See, look at how slick. Listen, I'm going to tell, tell you all right now. I know I have these conversations with some of you guys. Look how slick. The flesh can be, and look how slick the enemy is, because the enemy is learning. The enemy is learning. The enemy adapts, just like any warfare, all right? When you see, all right, all right I'm learning from the enemy. Is that Sun Tzu also, right? You know, know your enemy. There's things like that, because once you know your enemy, you're able to make adjustments. And so what have we seen so far? The enemy saw. When I say enemy, I'm talking about the devil and demons, all right? They brought Paul one time in front of a local council 
a, a local Roman council. And that's where they beat him in Philippi, right? They kind of did some stuff. They broke some Roman laws, yada, yada, yada. But then the enemy was like, hey, what if? We brought him to a, a Roman uh, little council here of a town, and they ruled in our favor. What happens if we bring him to a federal court? Because if we can bring Paul in a federal court, and they rule against Christianity like they did in the other town, this will set precedent all throughout the Roman Empire. And now we can get all of these places before Paul gets there. There will already be an opposition ready to stop the gospel. Look how slick the devil is. Man, he was thinking. He was thinking. But see, God, God was that checkmate move, had him, had him ahead of the, ahead of the game. He had him a, a step ahead. Because what happens here? The Jews come up and say, hey, they're, they're breaking our laws. They're talking about different things. And the Jewish culture, guys, this is an, an important thing for a little detail. See, the Jews had special religious liberties. Because when the Romans would come in, the Romans would come in, they would give you special privileges. If your uh, religion or your culture predated Rome and like it was ancient, then they let you worship and they let you keep your culture. Just remember, Caesar's your king, but you can have your gods. And so the Jews were an ancient tradition. That's why the Jews were able to do what they could do in the religious realm. And, and they weren't, you know, the Romans didn't kind of really bother them for a long time. And so the, the, these Jews, they thought they were slick. They're saying, hey, what they're saying is not Jewish. It's not Judaism. It's different. So in essence, what they're telling Gallio is because this isn't Jewish, they should not receive religious liberties. They should not receive religious rights. This isn't an ancient religion. This is brand new. And according to Roman law, anything brand new like this gets shut down. You see how slick they were? You see how slick they were. Now, I hope I'm not boring you guys because this detail matters. Because I want you to know your enemy. I want you to know that he's thinking ahead. He's trying to think four, five, ten steps ahead of you. All right? All the time. Like, ooh, okay. I see how he's responding. I see how she's responding to this temptation. So let's, let's kind of go this way. Let, let, let's go here. Let's do there. Your enemy is slick. You've got to be on top of that. But again, I want you to know, understand that your God is faithful. Your God is faithful. Your God is good. And so Galio sees through the mess. And God, I believe that God gives him some, a little bit of understanding. And so he sees through the mess and saying, oh, you guys, listen. No, 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 no. This isn't about this. This is religious in nature. I don't deal with these things. You handle it yourselves. I'm done. All right? And guys, you know what? The reverse happened. Where the enemy was hoping that they could have a judgment rule in their favor. So that way, in every kind of set precedent throughout the whole Roman Empire, to shut down and not allow Jewish or not allow Christian religion. The complete opposite happened. And now this was a federal court. And now Gallio sets precedent in all of the Roman Empire saying, hey, this Christian religion is nothing but another, it's kind of Jewish, so let it go. And guys, the Jewish, the, the Christian religion was able to grow unopposed from Roman influence for over another decade. Praise God for that. That was huge. So it just totally backfired in the devil's face. I would have loved to have seen that, right? Tell me you wouldn't have loved to get a front row seat, right? He's like, oh, I got him. Just, oh, my gosh, he got me again. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But hold on. Now, here's, I give you all these little details. Because, guys, I want to I pull over every rock that's in the word to show you the jewels and treasures that's inside. All right? Because remember, this whole thing is about learning how can I trust in God and how can I trust in this book. Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of uh, irony mixed into historical accuracy here. And this is the big takeaway. This is the big takeaway, guys. And so the, the irony was, remember, what was, what was Paul afraid to, that was going to happen to him? He was going to get beat. How do you know that? Because Jesus said, hey, don't worry. They're not going to beat you this time. Literally, that's what Jesus tells him. He says, don't be afraid. No one's going to lay a hand on you and beat you this time. All right? No one's going to. I got something to do still. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. 18 months he continued to preach boldly. 18 months he kept going, and then the thing with Gallio happened. And so the irony was that he didn't get beat. Who got beat? The one who led the charge against him, right? Sophanes. And so this guy named Sophanes was now the new synagogue leader. So Crispus was gone, so they were like, all right, Sophanes, bro, you up. You next up in line. And so Sophanes, because he's the synagogue leader, he's the one that had to present the case in front of the proconsul. And so he goes and he, they, they must have thought, they spent 18 months trying to plan this probably, you know? And so they thought they had an airtight case. They thought they had it. And so here he is, the one that was trying to get Paul beaten and kicked out is the one who gets beaten and kicked out. 
and so I think they got beat because I think all the Jews and stuff, they were just, they had it. I was like, bro, I can't believe you failed. You failed us. And so they took their rage out on Sophonies. Now, here's the irony of that. There's a double irony there. Not only do we see the Paul not get beat, but the one who led the charge beat him. But guys, you know how what 1 Corinthians 1, 1 says? Y'all got to hear this. You know how Paul opens up the first letter to his Corinthian church? Y'all got to read it. It says this. Paul opened up, opens up 1 Corinthians this way. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and from our brother Sophonies, we welcome you. Guys, Sophonies got beat trying to bring something against Paul, and Sophonies later becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, my gosh. Right? The plot thickens, right? And so isn't that interesting? So cool to see that flip happen like that. So cool to see that. And uh, oh, there's so many, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you see so many connections with what's happened here. So I love that, that irony there is so beautiful. But then here's the historical accuracy, guys. And this, listen, I want y'all to hang in there. Some of y'all are going to think I'm a nerd out right now. Like, oh, no, 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 no. You got to catch this, okay? There was two people, two Romans that we talked about. Y'all caught him? It was Gallio and somebody else named Claudius. Y'all caught him? This is Emperor Claudius. The details of happen. And with Claudius and Gallio were insane, all right? This is why people, guys, consider Luke, the author of the book of Acts, to be considered the greatest historian to have ever lived, all right? He's up there. People consider Luke to be the greatest historian who has ever lived. What he was able to do in, in this ancient time, throughout all of that stuff, it's still to this day unmatched, unrivaled, okay? He is documenting everything in real life. He's, 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 that's what he's doing. And so here he is. And so these details, guys, are amazing. There's more details in Acts 18 that we just read in these two things than we see in other places because Luke provides a timestamp for his work. Because you know what? We know, who Cla- we, we know who Emperor Claudius is. We know when he was emperor of Rome. and, and of, of, yeah, of Rome. And we know that this edict, when it happened, because it's historically proven that he kicked all the Jews out over this controversy over some guy named Christus. Okay, so we could have been some Jewish guy called Christus, which was a common name that maybe he was trying to go up against the Romans or revival was kind of starting to break out in Rome versus Jesus Christ, Christus, same thing. And so he's like, yo, we got to get these Jews out of here because they're they're causing a lot of issues. So, guys, that thing that he wrote down, the very thing that caused Aquila and Priscilla to leave, we know that to be historically accurate outside of the Bible. We know when Claudius lived. And, you know, which was around, and this edict happened around early 50 AD. 50 AD. So that means that what we are reading right now happened 20 years after the resurrection. And Luke is alive, and Luke is there. He's an eyewitness to this. He is writing things down that are 20 years after the resurrection. And we know who Gallio is. Gallio is a historical figure. No one denies these two. Gallio is actually the brother of the famous philosopher Seneca. Anybody know who Seneca is? Y'all ever heard that? Seneca is quoted all the time. This guy still to this day drops bars, all right? We know who Seneca is. He's a historical figure. And we know Gallio is his brother, uh, considered a legal expert of his time. These are real people. And they served, and he served in a pro-council of Corinth during early 50 AD. In the same time, so all of these things are matching up. All of these things match up. This is a timestamp of things that actually happened. And there's extra biblical things, that extra biblical resources to prove this is, uh, yeah, the historical accuracy of, the, of Luke in the book of Acts is amazing. So you know what that means? He puts these timestamps on there to pretty much say, hey, yeah, you can verify. You know that what I said is true. What I said is true. It is verifiable outside of the scriptures. It is considered true. So you know what that means, guys? Yeah, that means that if we, if what is in the Bible is historically accurate, it's true, that means you can trust it. If you can trust the Bible, that means you can trust the one who inspired it. See, this little detail, guys, is actually huge because if you can trust in it, in it you can trust in him. And so then what do we do with that? What do we do with that? All right, what we do with that is what well, same thing that Paul is told by Jesus Trust me and keep going. You can trust me and keep going. He didn't get all the answers. I mean, I'm sure there's things, guys, but you know what? Acts is not the only thing that has a timestamp like that. 
All throughout the Bible, there's timestamps of historical figures, of people. And here's the thing, guys. People like Gallio and people like Seneca and all these other guys and Emperor Claudius and Nebuchadnezzar and all these dudes, none, no one doubts that they lived. No one doubts what they did, what they did. And all of the historical act, all the historical documents that tell us about these people were written hundreds, if not thousands of years after they happened. And here we got a book with an eyewitness account of a guy named Luke who was living it 20 years after the resurrection. And some of the earliest documents that we have of, of Acts are under 100 years old. Guys, there is nothing else out there like that. So that means if you want to throw out the Bible, oh, guys, we can't trust it. You can't trust it because of you got to throw everything else out that you've based your entire world on. Because if you can't trust this, then there's nothing you can trust. But guys, if you can trust in this word, that means you can trust in the one who's inspired. And so my, so the big thing for us, guys, is we're all like Paul in the middle of a, oh my gosh, you know, what's going to happen to me? Or what's going to happen to this? What's going to happen to the world? What's going to happen to this country? What's going to happen? I don't know. But you know what we can do? We can keep trusting in God as we keep trucking through life. Keep trusting in God as we keep trucking through life. All right, I, I, this one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date some of y'all. Some of y'all are not going to get this. Have you ever heard of the term keep trucking? Juan Sebastian, have you ever heard of that? Keep trucking? Have you heard of that, that phrase, keep trucking? No? Some of you have. See, I'm saying no, normally it's maybe you got to be pushing 40 and up. All right, sorry. Like, but keep trucking? Never? Have you heard keep trucking? Hey, look at that. There. Yeah, all right. Keep trucking, listen, is a cultural term. It's a slang term. But keep trucking is uh, it's actually in, in some songs, and I think it's almost uh, the phrase maybe 100 years old, but whatever. But keep trucking refers to big 18-wheeler trucks. Now, we've all seen those, right? We've all, everybody online, you feel me? We've all seen 18 rigs. Now, I, I know I have a, a unique uh, relationship with those because my grandparents, both my grandfathers, they were truck drivers when they came here to America. My grandfather started a business. He had a whole trucking company. And so I remember going to the spot where they would pick up the rock and sand and, he, you know, Eagle Rock. I'll never forget. I worked for Eagle Rock for a time and doing some like, uh, you know, budgeting and some little things like that. When I was like 15, I would work for my grandfather in his company. And my other grandfather, he had his own truck. It was his own business. And that's what he did. He used to park that 18 rig in our old church building um, down by Chamberlain High School. And so I used to be around those. And those things are huge. And I see them. I've been in them. It's pretty cool. And so here's the thing about those 18 rigs, guys. I don't know if anybody have family that has ever uh, driven trucks, right? All right? And so things about trucks is they are built different than in other cars, right? These 18 rigs are built different. Why are they built different? For, two, for one main reason is the cargo that they carry is important, right? They're built different. And so because the cargo that they carry is important, what do they do? They are built to withstand the worst of elements. They are built to withstand abuse, like, they were able to go thousands and thousands of miles. And that's it. I mean, they, they, you know, running constantly. These things are built different to take a beating, all right? Anyone ever seen those, like, even the shows up north, I guess, like Alaska? Like, the, the, I don't know, what is it called? You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the, the danger ones? Ice road truckers. Oh, my gosh, right? I mean, this is a dangerous job. And, and you see those trucks are amazing, right, to withstand whatever element. Whatever road hazard, whatever this, it's not easy, but these are built different. They're built for the long haul. They're built because what they carry is important. They carry the products, guys, that we buy. They carry food. They carry gasoline. If truck drivers took a week off, you know, we turn into the walking dead, okay? Like, it would be nasty if truck drivers just stopped doing what they're doing. So praise God for truck drivers, all right? I feel you. Praise God for them. But here's the thing about that. So the term, keep trucking, was adopted because of what do trucks do? They got to keep going. They got to keep going. They got to keep going because people need what they have. And so they got to keep going no matter what, no matter what. They got to keep going long hours. It's not easy to be a truck driver. They got to keep going. And so here's the thing, guys. Just as these trucks are built different, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're born again, you're built different. If you're born again, you're built different. You're built for the long haul now. You're built to be able to go from point A, which is here, to our ultimate destiny, which is in heaven. That's a long road for some of us. We're built different now for it. With strengthened by the Holy Spirit himself to face whatever comes our way, whatever difficulty, whatever circumstance, whatever else. This is the God in us that carries us through and propels us to be able to go head on into anything. And we, as believers, we got to keep trucking. We got to keep going. Why? Because the cargo that we carry is important. 
What is the cargo that we carry? Christ, the gospel, the cargo that Christians carry is the gospel. And guys, we are called to press through, to persevere, and to help those and to look for those that don't know why. Because the cargo that we carry is important. People right now, if the truck drivers didn't bring this stuff, people die. And we don't want people to die in their sins. At least if they reject it, they reject it, right? But we want to give them. Notice Paul said, I'm innocent. I tried. That's all my job is. And guys, we are called to carry like those truck drivers. We are called to carry Christ no matter where we go. But here's the beautiful part about it, guys. The very cargo that we carry is what carries us. The Christ that we carry is what carries us. You ever seen the 18 rigs that carry gasoline? What do they run on? Gasoline. All right? That's the irony of it, right? Run on diesel, but it's still gas, right? It's the oil. And so the very thing that they're carrying is what is carrying them. The same gospel and the same truth of God and the love that we carry is the same one that carries us. It is him in us to accomplish his work and his thing. And so we got to continue to press in. We keep trusting in him as we keep trucking through life. Because that same God that was there alongside of Paul is the same God that is with us. In the midst of our tension, in the midst of whatever else, we can trust him. And you can trust him with two things, guys. You can trust him with your sins. And you can trust him with your circumstances. You can do both. You can trust him with your sin and you can trust him with your circumstances. And guys, it is not that difficult. It's the same way. How do you trust in God with your sin? Think about this. Let's take a minute for some of y'all. I want you to process this. It's too easy. How do you trust him with your sin? What do you do? You're just saying, well, Jesus, you said. All right, so my kids do this all the time. Every time I say something, I was like, all right, uh, this week, we're going to go do this. I'm going to buy you something, whatever. We're going to go and we're going to do this, right? Some, Dad, you said, and they throw this one at me all the time, and we can't do it now, but you said. And so they always do that. Well, here's the thing, guys. What did God say? Well, God, you said that if we can trust in your name. We said, Lord, you said that you went on the cross and died and received the penalty of our sins that all who call on and believe in the name of Jesus will be saved. And so, Lord, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how that looks like. I don't know how that officially works. But I don't know. I don't need to understand how it works in order to know that it does. All you've told me to do is trust you. And so, Lord, I put my trust in Jesus. I put my trust in the cross. I put my trust in what you've done for me. That is enough. And that's it. And your sins are forgiven. You trust in him. But you know what you're doing? You're trusting him with your past. Right? Because you look back at your past history, you look at your past sin and be like, you can't go back and undo sin. You can't go and undo a decision. It's over. It's the past. It's sealed. And so the only thing you can do is go to Christ. And he is the only one who can go and rewrite. He can cover that past with your blood, with his blood. That's all you do. But guys, listen, some of you, maybe some Christians, I've done this too, we struggle with giving him our circumstances. What is our circumstances? What, do I, what am I dealing with right now in the present? Or what, am I, what could I possibly have to deal with in the future? God, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, if your God is able to take care of your past, he's able to take care of your present and your future too. He can handle it. It all fits in his hand. It all fits in his hands. He doesn't have enough room for the past. They're like, oh, you're on your own, man. You know? You can trust him with your circumstances. You can trust him with the present. And you can trust him with the future. And the more you trust in him, and you keep going. You keep trucking. You keep believing. You keep living. You keep sharing. Notice that's what he told him. He says, hey, don't be afraid. Keep talking. Don't stop talking. Don't stop, li- don't stop shining your light. Guys, as believers in Christ, we can still trust him in the midst of tension. It's okay. We can trust him not having all the answers, knowing that he is the answer. And so we trust in him and move forward. That is ultimately it, guys. The reason why that any of us, and I don't know if, if you're a Christian, this is, a one, this is a phrase that I know I would love to hear. When we meet Jesus face to face in the end, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your time of rest. Who's waiting, praying to hear those words? You? I'm praying. But here's the thing. I love it. He says, hey, well done, uh, good and perfect. No, he didn't say that. He just said faithful, right? Good and faithful. You hung in there. You did your best. I don't know. You know, it's kind of like a little weird. But good and faithful meaning you, you persevered. You went all the way through. 
Well done, good and faithful, guys. Listen, the only reason why God will ever call us, any of us, good and faithful, is because he is ultimately good and faithful. Because he is good and faithful, the work he does in us is what allows us to be good and faithful. It's him. It's not on us. And too many of us, guys, listen, you, you, maybe, I know it's very hard for Christians to carry too much than you're supposed to. Do you guys know that sheep, uh, which the Bible calls believers in Jesus Christ, sheep, right? Um, do you guys know sheep aren't supposed to carry anything? They're not pack animals. You put a backpack on a sheep, he just, it's a, uh, he doesn't know what to do. He like freaks out. He's like, I can't, my legs don't work anymore. You know, literally, that's what sheep do. When the sheep carries something it's not meant to carry, it can't walk. Guys, you are not meant to carry your sins. You are not meant to carry your circumstances. You weren't built for that. You were built to trust in the shepherd. You were built to trust and follow him. That's what you were called to do. That's how you called. That's how you've been built. That is how God has made you. And so, Lord, if hey, listen, guys, if our God is faithful and true, that means his word is faithful and trustworthy. If he is faithful and trustworthy, that means his word is faithful and trustworthy. And guys, if you can trust, because right now when I said this, guys, there's these historical details that tell us what Luke wrote in the book of Acts was real. What Luke wrote in the book of Acts, we can trust it. We can take it to the bank. So if you can trust what he wrote, what Luke wrote in the book of Acts, you can trust in what he said in his own gospel, the gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, verse 6, when some angel showed up to a bunch of women and said, um, he's not here, he's risen. He's not here. He's risen. If you can trust in what Luke said in Acts, you can trust in what he said in his own gospel, that Jesus is not dead, that he did die on that cross for us, and he didn't remain dead, that he is not in that tomb any longer. He is not there because why? He is risen. And if he is risen, that means he's reigning over sin and death itself. If you can trust in the word, you can trust in who the word points to. We can trust in Acts. If we can trust in what Luke said in Acts, then we can trust in what Luke said in his own gospel. He is not there. He is risen. And I can honestly say, he's not there. Where is he? He's right here. Where is Jesus? He's here. He's here. Because he's risen. He is here in the midst of your tension. And my prayer for you, my prayer for a lot of you is, if you were, for those of you that you found yourself like Paul, you're just in the midst of this got a lot going on and it's overwhelming and there's a lot of the future what if what if this happens or what if that happens and you're just kind of drowning in anxiety drowning in fear drowning in worry that same Jesus who came alongside of Paul he's here too and he's here to say you can trust me I'm here don't be afraid don't be afraid don't stop shining that light though don't stop shining that light and just don't be afraid I am here our God is faithful despite that you and I are not faultless. We are not faultless, but he remains faithful. And so then that is why we can keep trusting in him as we keep trucking through whatever tension that comes your way. Because he is mighty and he is good. And we can move forward understanding this one truth, and I pray this gives you hope and reason to trust in Christ. Because now I said it, listen, the word is a word, and we can look and confirm it. The problem is not, is that really what was said? No, the problem, that's not the problem. We know it's what it said. The problem now is, do you believe in what it said? Do you trust it? Because we know that this thing, even with the translations, even with the generations, we know what is original because we have it. The problem is not, was it written? The problem is, do you trust what you're reading? Do you trust what you're hearing? That is it. And when you put your trust in God, that is the game changer itself. He is the one that gives you life. And you can move forward knowing these beautiful truths. Listen, we saw this happen with Paul. God gave him a promise. Nothing's going to happen to you. This is going to happen. This, you know, this is going to, I got a job that's going to happen. Now, this doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us. It means that despite what comes our way, Romans 8, 28, God can turn all things to make them work together for his, for our good and his glory. And so we know that. We know that to be true. And the thing that I want us to lean in on is this. Listen, God was faithful to his promise to Paul in that moment. And he's faithful to our promises that he's made to us as well. To carry us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to be there, never forsake us. And to finish the job that he starts in our souls. 
And so, guys, I want you to have hope. When you trust in God, you can have hope knowing that his promises are greater than your problems. His promises are greater than your problems, and his promises will outlast your problems. Amen. Your, his promises will outlast, will outlast your problems. Why? Because he is faithful. Because he is trustworthy. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of all honor. Worthy of all glory. And worthy of our lives. Amen. God's word is trustworthy. Okay, it is trustworthy. Now, I know we focused a lot on the historical elements of it, the timestamps that we see. And I wanted you to see that there, there is so much in the Bible as an ancient document that gives it a weight that nothing else has. I mean, it is in a league of its own. This book is unlike any other book for a reason. Now, some people may say and look and like, well, not all the historical things kind of line up or what about this? And this timeline doesn't match with that. Listen, they can say all they want, but after all of the years, the Bible is still shown to be trustworthy. It has taken every hit and still keeps on ticking. I mean, God said his word, his truth would last and nothing would change. Yet despite all the historical accuracies that we see and all the cool things that are there, I want you to know that as Christians, let me remind you, our faith is not in the historical accuracy. It is in something better than that. It is in the resurrection. We believe what is written because Jesus is risen and because he lives. We can trust in what God has said guide us and to help us to know and experience eternal life that is only found in Christ.